0: This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, welcome to Drinking with Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance. Austin Scott Collins couldn't be with us today, so I asked back a familiar voice, which is not an accurate statement because she actually sounds
1: like herself now. So please introduce yourself, co-host of mine. Uh, uh, the, the co-host is Valerie Willis, and I now have my voice back, so I don't sound like, what was it, Kathleen Turner? or, or uh, I think we liked you sexier better. Oh. <laughs> but but uh, no, I'm back as a co-host, and this is what I really sound like. Okay, so cling to it because I'm sure next time we have her on, she's going
0: to sound terrible again. But we have an amazing author guest today. It's Mark Muncie. Welcome. Hi, Welcome. gang. How are you all? We're we're good. So one of the first things we do cover generally is what we're drinking. So uh-huh. let's. I, I'm drinking new uh, aromatic kettle one cucumber lime vodka. And tonic water. I'm very fancy today instead of my jacket and coat yeah, that, normally. But it's a mouthful. Yeah, uh, so what are you drinking? I'm about? drinking
1: a, a dessert wine. It's called Rosa Regalia. And um, let's just say when my, my mother in law found this at the the sands, she she put twenty <laughs> bottles <laughs> into her buggy and says, I'm giving everyone a bottle for Christmas. That's fantastic. So uh, it's a very sweet, uh, soft, wet red wine uh, variant there, so
2: uh, I'm drinking tea. Uh, the southern <laughs> classic unsweet tea. Uh, I have uh, epilepsy meds, so uh, my alcohol days are behind me. But when I did uh, partake, I really enjoyed a nice... Uh, I, I was a classic guy. It was more like a, just a, a Jim Beam or a Scotch on the Rocks. Or
0: that is classic. It's I'm going to imagine you like this during the podcast because you're the third author we've had on that doesn't drink. And I, I was beginning to feel like I'm in a pattern. I'm like, great. So the host can get completely <laughs> loaded. God, to it's totally fine. Exactly. And I'm like, why am I on the
2: show? I'm <laughs> just
0: kidding. Okay. So let's jump in. Mark, tell us about your books.
2: Um, well, I... Um- I wrote way back in this time called the 80s. Oh, my goodness.
0: Was there even dirt then? I know. There was actually – there was
2: books then. I know. It's hard to believe. Uh, but, you had a uh, real paper, everyone, out Yeah, cares. exactly. I, I wrote for um, – mostly for uh, role-playing games at the time. Like, um, they, I wrote for uh, a thing called Bureau 13 from TriTech Systems, and I wrote for uh, Chill from Pacesetter, and uh, I did All a little bit for – All of you
0: nerds out there are just literally going, Oh, <laughs> If you know these <laughs> games,
2: you are an old school nerd. Uh, but uh, I did write for Dragon Magazine a couple times, and, and uh, was working on a project for TSR before they went under, and uh, you know, and became you know part of Wizards of the Coast and all that. I was I was there during the dark days, um, dark days. and um, uh, but then um, I kind of became a new dad around that time, and so. And writing was kind of, like I said, it was Dark Days, uh, the uh, publishing and the TSR, even Dungeons & Dragons going under all these other little companies I was writing for were certainly not going to make it. Um, yeah, most of these were basically independent press stuff, you know, guys doing it out of their houses and stuff. So um, so that all stuff is ancient history and disappeared. And you can find some of it here and there. It's funny when somebody brings it up to me occasionally. It's like you know, we'll be at a con, and somebody'll be like, "I got your chill module from you know 1984. I'm like, "Oh my but gosh!" That's right? all like
0: fantasy, like deep, deep fantasy. It was mostly dare fa- I say almost token ask fantasy. It was it was it was, it was all
2: uh, it was mostly horror. I did because oh it was like the spooky games. Like chill was a it was a knockoff. It was like a, the poor man's Call of Cthulhu, uh, and um, <laughs> uh, and uh, then. Uh, Bureau 13 was basically X-Files with guns, long before Men in Black and before X-Files and stuff. And, uh, and uh, then we wrote for a game called Fringeworthy, which was uh, interesting. It was a, um, Richard Tcholka was the guy who created these games and uh, he's an unsung hero of the role-playing community. Um, he created all these wonderful games. And this, this setting, Fringeworthy, was about the military finding these secret round portals in the desert that open doors to parallel dimensions. And, like you do. Well, and what's funny is they basically the totally ripped it off for <laughs> this thing called Stargate. Yeah. And they even yeah, used two thing. of his sample characters were the names of the main characters in the movie. And now he sued, but he's a little mailman from Michigan. And right. this is, you know, Big studios and they shut him down, and he never got any credit for it. And in fact, whenever the Wikipedia page somebody like an old school fan updates saying you know StarGate was inspired by yeah you know, they, they they take it down like in down.
0: seconds. It's That's crazy. He's he he now immortalized on a broadcast. Yeah, podcast. yeah. It yeah. Is he, there passed, he
2: passed away uh, f- a number of years ago, and never got the credit that he deserved. But we we, we us Bureau thirteen fans, you know, and, and old writers for it, we loved it. Um, and uh, but anyway, so that was so that was what I wrote, and then so disappeared for a while. We started running a haunted house, a charity haunted house, and because uh, that was my other love was that. And we based it on local lore and legends. We'd, instead of having a you know, werewolf jump out at you, we had a legendary werewolf, like the Beast de Javeton from France and stuff. But then we started tying it into Tampa Bay more and more, and um, and Florida in general. So that's when we became. Known as Hellview Cemetery, which was based on the lost cemeteries of Tampa Bay, and that's when we started collecting these stories, and we were writing spooky versions of them because this was my.
0: You genre. keep saying we. We should probably clear that. Oh, up. Yes. Either that or you have multiple personality disorder. Either no, that no, was. we not. It was. It property. was. <laughs> I say we because
2: it was. It was the guys who worked on the haunted house and I were coming up with stories for their own characters, and I would research them, and then they would write their version of their character backstory
1: almost like a DD campaign exactly and then (laughs) i would
2: spice it up and make it the stephen king version that we would produce and then i had a partner elizabeth abbott who was working with us at the time a young girl going through her edit she was taking classes on editing and writing and so she saw all these stories on our website and was like you realize a lot of these are being published on reddit which was new at the time and some other stuff And Creepypasta had just come out, and they were copy-pasting our stuff from our website and posting it on these sites, and they were getting national attention. And people were like, oh, you based it on this, you based it on that. I'm like, but they based that on my story, so... So we decided we've got to do this as a book, so that, and that to was... To avoid
0: the Stargate situation. Exactly. From ever occurring a, I like a, this. This actually went full circle as a story. Yes, yes there's <laughs> a moral
1: lesson and decisions made yeah. based off of past uh,
2: Experience. experiences.
1: We all have learned something. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And so we, we created what was then uh, 31 Tales of Hellview, and um, we spiced it up with photos from the haunted house. And... And then, but then what we got was all these people were like, well, "What's the, you say these are based on real legends, and I just assumed everybody knew them because I knew them. And that's when we decided, okay, we've got to do a little bit more of the real legends. But we do the real legend, and then we did do the spooky version. And that became our second book, Tales of Terror, Tampa Bay. And that one took off. The Hell of You book, not so much, but Tales of Terror did really well and got us noticed by real publishers, these were self-published because we were just gonna sell them at the haunted house. And about that time, the city decided our haunted house was a little too popular. We had about 5,000 people a weekend going wow. through my haunted house and in my backyard. So um, the city of St. Pete changed mayors and the old mayor used to come to our store, you know, to come to our haunt every year, bring his family and all that. The new one, not so much. So they shut us down, denied our permits. We weren't allowed to do it anymore. And I had all these stories. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And like I said, we'd gotten some traction with Tales of Terror. So that's when we approached a few publishers and History Press called us and said, hey, you want to do the real stuff? We'll let you do it. And because they realized, you know, they they were mostly known for, you know, um, the history of the Battle of the Lusty or... You know, hidden history of Saint Petersburg. They would started realizing there was money in the more dark side of history and all that, because most of their stuff is just really little mom and pop, you know, family histories or histories of small towns and stuff. And that's their big thing. They they love local stories, but they realized there was money in spooky, so they they hit us up and said, "Let's do Erie, Florida."
0: That had to be kind of an awesome moment when somebody came to you and was like, we want we want what you're willing to give us. Because I think right. as most writers, we really want somebody to be like, yes, we want your stuff. And not in a way that we want your stuff, but here, change everything you're doing. We don't want you... Like, listen, we want it scary, but not too scary. So can you find the stuff that's like PG? And then you're like, what? So I think that, first of all, that's awesome. Yeah. Second of all... Um, I, I do want to point out something about your haunted house because me and you met several years ago. Yeah. But your haunted house actually used to donate the proceeds to your haunted house yep. to a uh, children's charity, correct? Yeah,
2: several charities, yeah. Over the years we always donated to charity, everything we did. Um, and uh, we originally were with uh, Child's Play uh, which was a children's share advice toys and games for kids in hospitals because my daughter had had to have heart surgery. My oldest daughter. And um, I worked for um, I'm not allowed to say, I guess, but I worked for a company that rhymed with shame stop. Uh, so <laughs> that is
0: actually a perfect way to stay
2: yeah, 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 exactly, and uh, and so I had access to you know free video games and stuff like that. So uh, my daughter was having heart surgery at all Children's Hospital downtown. We happened to be lucky, and she had heart problems, but we were right down the street from one of the most amazing children's hospitals in the world. And uh, she brought in her DS that I had given her. And all the kids in the emergency room are just like staring at her playing this thing because it was brand yeah. new at the time. No,
1: my kids do the same thing. Like one yeah. kid has a video game, the rest of them will just pile in this yeah. giant
2: moving orb of watching the game. Yeah, And this was a brand new system at the time. And so no one of the kids knew what the heck this was, but they, they were loving it. And then, so when my daughter got out, because she recovered very well, um, which is a whole another story, uh, the, uh, some other kids were still there. And she felt that, so she's like, hey, "Can we just leave them the DS?" And I was, and she said, "I know it costs us so much money, and all." That. I'm like, "No, go ahead." I was so proud of her at that time. Oh, that
0: is um, awesome! Well, you did so well like, in the kid arena then, too. So yeah, well done there. Yeah, I
2: got a couple. I got a couple good ones here. So uh, and uh, they, uh, but anyway, so that became our thing. Was well, let's donate the charity money to a children's hospital this year, and then we found out about Child's Play, which basically. Did that and we were like perfect. So they we were with them for years, and then eventually we shifted to more. They became huge, and you know they didn't need a little, you know, a couple thousand from a local charity. So we started reaching out to more local charities, and then we got in with uh, the Kind Mouse, which is a wonderful charity organization. Feeds transitional families down here in Tampa Bay, That's and awesome. uh, and we were there pre-Thanksgiving fundraiser every year. So we were giving them thousand plus dollars every year. And sadly, you know, we had to stop and that became a big thing for them because they counted on our money to feed the families for Thanksgiving. Because Thanksgiving. Yeah. everybody would give them stuff at Thanksgiving and for Christmas. But, yeah, you know, they lost that. That was a, that was a big sad part. Of it
0: all. So. No, that's unfortunate. But I'm going to do a little plug here, um, a vodka-fuel plug, that if you do have local charities, you should reach out to them every single year and do what you can, because no matter what Definitely. your stature in life, there's something you can do to help them.
1: Right. So that little moment during our and, Christmas time. And I know here. a lot of, uh, especially indie presses like myself, usually are proceeds and profit for anthologies mm-hmm. that support authors and everything. Um Usually go to some sort of charity. It's yeah. sort of something the author community is really big and hyped, you know, hyped about. Is always giving back to our readers. Right,
2: right, and that's you know even for Hellview and Tales of Terror, which are still, I think we revised them a few years ago, made second editions, and we sell them at the conventions and stuff. But we still donate for those two to, to uh, Kind House every year. So
0: it's very awesome. Okay, so uh, the. A uh, publisher comes to you and goes, you can write the scary crap for us. Do it. Yes, and
2: they're like, So
0: what, what drew you? Let's go. We're going to go back. We're going to turn back our pages to what drew you to the scary crap? I know because I'm a horror author, yeah. so I know what drew me to the scary crap. But what drew you to the scary crap?
2: I go back to my childhood. Um, I was uh, s- got to be under six because I was living in a house in Dayton, Ohio, and we moved out when I was six. Uh, so I don't. It's my earliest memory. My earliest memory is going up the stairs. My room led up was on the second floor, and the room, the stairway to the attic, was through my room. Now my brother is eleven years older than me, so we both consider ourselves only children. He lived down in the basement. You and know, you lived up near and the I attic. I lived up near the <laughs> attic, uh, so we never saw each kept other. Kept separating. He, yeah, he had all his, you know, his friends and stuff. But um, I just remember going out of my bed and climbing up the stairs to the attic and seeing a dark shape in the middle of the room staring at me with glowing red eyes. I still see that. That is like the most vivid memory in my mind. I Goosebumps. Yeah. No, uh, I just just got goosebumps from you saying that. And I don't know what happened. I don't remember much about it after that. I remember my mom picking me up and putting me back in bed. Uh, And that's my my one... I have a few other memories from that house, but that's the one that sticks with me. And that still stuck with me. So it was one of those, what did I see? What did I experience? And so... I was always drawn to spooky stories and stuff like that because of that. It was, did you ever I do research on
0: that house? I did.
2: And, and uh, what did we find out? I found it was an old house and lots of people had died in there over the years. So, you know, it you know, could be anything. I still don't, I mean, we've been doing this for years and I still don't like to say, um, you know, that it was definitely this or it was definitely that because I don't know. I still don't
0: know. Well, you know, it's it's actually interesting to me that you say that because I had a very similar experience as a child, and it for me mm-hmm. horror writing made it so I could be a little bit in control to worry about it. We drop ghosters all the time here. It's a thing. We're no. we're drinking yeah. with yeah. authors. We it's can drop and break all yeah. kinds yeah. of crap. Yeah. No, we yeah. can say <laughs> I have no excuse. I've got tea. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> It's okay. I spiked it. Nobody knows. <laughs> Just <laughs> kidding. Um. No, kidding. Um, but for me, I realized it was a a point where I could, I could be more in, in front of whatever that was, because it was so terrifying. It was, at least my experience was almost paralyzing at the time as a child that I went, this is how I could be in control of the story and sort of, at least for me, have all the pieces. So you ran into that, that's. Did you?
2: And uh, and that was just it. It's like uh, I think with me, it has always been the I want to know what I experienced. I wanted to get behind it, so I really originally dove into, you know, my early readings and early forays into libraries was always the uh, Hans Holzer books or the Charles Berlitz books, and yeah, you know, and it was like, oh, oh, there's there's other people who've actually studied this stuff and you know tried to make sense of it, and um, so it became. The science behind it became the, you know, what is this? But then, as I grew up, I discovered this thing called Dungeons and & Dragons. And I, As did I. I
0: colored in my dice because I had an original
2: Dungeons yeah, & Dragons. Yeah, in red box, red <laughs> box, baby. Yes. Uh, I started with the white box with my brother because like I, I had an older brother, and he and his friends, you know, at this point they were 17. I was like six or seven, and we would play, and uh, it was a new game back then. So, and, uh, what was your first
0: character? Do you remember? Oh, my first character
2: was uh, Duran. He was a uh, just a fighter, and uh, he became eventually Lord Duran. Ooh.
1: Uh,
2: and uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was a Knight of Furiani, because he was from Greyhawk. And, uh, oh, wow. Old school. Wow, old school. Old That's school. Super old and, school. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, lived on the Aya's border, I remember that was always, a, you know, the Aya's lands were always in trouble. But, um, so, gosh, yeah, that was, that was my first character, and uh, as he's still around, I, re- I write him into things every once in a while, so. Thanks. You gotta love the classics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, so, you know, so then I started really loving storytelling, that became my thing, storytelling. I, I wanted to be the DM more than I wanted to be the player.
0: That's uh, Dungeon Master for y'all, you non-nerds paying attention? Yes, yes. I
2: wanted to be the storyteller, the game master.
1: And as a a fellow nerd, I was so proud of my son when he comes home with a character sheet for D&D 5th edition. He goes, Mom, can you help me fill this out? And I'm like, we're buying a book. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We're getting you into this because one of my employees DMs the kid table this Saturday. You know, And then the first thing he does is make a tiefling who's a fighter. And I'm like... Okay. Um, okay. You
2: know, hey, I like the oddball classics. He's
1: like, stuff. I'm like Hellboy. Yeah, exactly. he's <laughs> like, you are. Yeah, that's go for fast. it. Just, I love just. it. So I'm, and they're like, like some of my more you know D D heavy friends are like, "Aren't you going to correct it?" And I'm like, "No, yeah. it's his first character. Like, but, I mean, live. There like, is no wrong I mean, way to play. That's it. the beauty of D D. Right. It's a
2: role playing game. If he yeah. wants to
1: a little boy-looking character named Senpai. Let him run it. Yeah,
2: that's fantastic. Some of the go- some of the goofy characters become your favorites. I know. Oh, my gosh. Um, no, totally.
1: So, okay, so
0: you're reading yeah. and you're going, I want to understand what's happening. Right. And then it morphs into, no, I want to create the fantasy of what can happen. Exactly, and
2: it became the stories. And then and, and learning the folklore tales and realizing that's where it's at you know, and then finding the kernels of truth in the folklores. And then that's where the history press hit us. was like, let's, we want your folklore tales. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. I can do that. I just type up these stories. uh, There's hundreds of books just like that. And then I was like, but history press, wait a minute. That's history. And I am a giant historian, again, nerd. So, you know, uh, the history buff in me is like, What if I take the folklore and then dive into the history behind the folklore? And that became our our real pitch to History Press, because they had come to us and just wanted the folklore collection. And I'm like, I have an idea. Let's do this instead. And they're like, send us a sample chapter. And uh, Amanda Earle, our wonderful editor at History Press, who we're sad is now with Cambridge, press so oh darn she got you know a better job yeah i was gonna say a bigger publisher publisher. for her uh yeah but um sadly an academic publisher and i don't know if you guys have talked about the difference between publisher and academic publishers academic publishers it's a lot of prestige not a lot of money so no i
0: actually have a friend who wrote an academic her dissertation got published on stephen Mm -hmm. king's Mm -hmm. the stand oh yeah and i of course and that you know, great supporter, of one of my best friends. I bought this book for forty eight dollars. Yep. She made like a buck twenty five. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah. Totally. That's, she so, made a buck uh, twenty five. But what's really cool for her is that when she teaches Stephen King, what she does because she teaches um, art, literary um, words, and she does that, and she can go, Nope, you have to. <laughs> Yeah, have to buy
2: my book, exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah, no, academic press is what it is, yeah. it, it is what it is, and, uh, because we got invited by a few academic presses to write stuff for them after Erie became this huge success, and we haven't done that yet, we've been like, eh, you know, um, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, so Erie becomes this big project, and my, uh, fiance at the time, and now wife, Carrie, uh, she's here, by the way, and she'll probably say stuff. Again, this is one
0: of those things where she's she's sitting over there creatively drawing things of
2: amazingness. She is uh, very much the teller to my pen, Gillette, when it comes to the radio shows and stuff. She'll chime in when the time is right. But she's, uh, she, her and I started these journeys, and we drove 5,000 miles, never left the state, and we went to every place we wanted to hit for Erie, Florida. Because we didn't just want to write about them, and I had been to many of these places back in the day, Um, over my years of travels but I hadn't been in I wanted to recently refresh him and we reached out to uh, the great, late great Charlie Carlson uh, who wrote Weird Florida Mm -hmm. back in the uh, 80s and he was one of my inspirations and I was like let's just work with Charlie let's update his book and then I'll do the history behind it and he can tell the folklore because he's the master but he was very old and very unwell at the time no. and he kind of passed it on to us and said no go ahead go ahead." he's been doing he'd done Strange Florida and a couple others on his own and he was trying to do like a PBS show and I think he actually got it on a couple of local PBS stations uh, but again it was just one of those he's like passed it on to us so we went on and started doing it and that was when we changed it to eerie Florida instead of you know more weird Florida and all that but again there was some rights issues with the original publisher and all that so um, and so we started doing this and we went to all these places, and then we realized that a lot of the monsters weren't going to pose for pretty pictures. And that's why my lovely and talented wife here, uh, she draws them and brings them to life for us. Which is she is
0: amazing. amazing. I awesome. will make sure that during this um, podcast, uh, when you guys see the advertisements for it, we post some of her artwork because it is Truly fantastic. Yes. And, it,
1: and it's awesome that you mentioned that you, you went to the places. Because uh, I teach a lot of workshops on research and stuff for fiction. And I'm like, go to the town. Go talk to a the historian. And they're like, well, how do you do that? And you just walk up there and say, hey, who's the historian? Who has the time? And they get so excited. Yeah. They don't care if you ever finish the story. No, but a no. chance to talk to someone who's just excited about whatever the topic is, is an amazing thing to do.
2: What's fun with this is like you will go to the place and you're talking monsters and you're talking ghosts. And you'll go to a building that's known for its ghosts or known for its... And you'll talk to one person and the person will be like, ah, it it's, you're, you're, it's a joke. Yeah, somebody wrote this back in the 70s. Nobody, it's not real. It's not real, and then the minute that guy leaves, this other person comes in and goes, "No, no, no! Come here, talk to me. It's real. It's real. Oh my God! He he's not here at night. He doesn't know. Sure you have my cell phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it's funny because it's also like managers of places will be like, "No, no, no," but then the waiter will be like, "Yes, yes, yes, yes." But then it'll be the opposite too. Like some yeah. waiter will be like, "I don't know what you're talking about," but then the manager's like, "No, you know, it's it's <laughs> this is they're not here at night. They don't know. You know, or they're not here during the day, and it always happens." So and it's, what?
0: What was the sample chapter, though? You said oh, you okay, had to so, 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 Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, so sorry. sorry. I'm so not a, I, I ramble. It's, no, it, it's you know what. we this is a drunk podcast. Yeah. Literally, yeah. we're uh, surprised uh, we're still talking about books. That's right why now. We're not <laughs> driving. The so. um,
2: the uh, <laughs> the story that we sent was there was a legend in Saint Pete called Mini Lights, and I had heard a version of it, and uh, we'd heard another version of it, and then and we'd heard other versions of it, and. Um, and that was the thing, I was like, there's five different versions of this story. There's one where it's low green lights that show up. And you know, if you say the name Mini-Lights three times, it's always three times. Because uh, you gotta mock <laughs> the Trinity. Mary yeah, you, gotta started, a trend. You, gotta, you gotta mock the Trinity, that's what it is. Uh, then there was another one where it, it was Mini-Lightning, the voodoo queen of St. Petersburg, and her little alligator children would come out and steal you. And then I was that's like, terrifying. that's awesome. I just said, that's awesome, awesome right? And And then there was a third yeah. one where it was like a troll that came out in a, in a, from a bridge and near Roser Park and it would come and eat you. And it's like, what the heck is all this? So there's got to be a reason for it. So you start digging into the history behind these stories. And the first we found about a boarding house fire and the lady was a Mennonite. Oh, wow. So many lights, Mennonite. Mennonite. And supposedly the people stood around her and she let circus people stay with her. Which yeah. was totally taboo, taboo back then. Back then yeah. yeah. So that would be the little people, the you know, that she saw maybe, and, you know, and, and you know and, and yeah, you know, so, so there's that, there's that. But then we start going, "Wait a minute, you know there's got to be more to this. And that was in Gibsonton, not in St. Pete. Why the heck is this even a thing? And then we start realizing there's more to it, and we dig in and we find more history. St. Pete was the alligator farm capital before Miami was. And they used to draw tourists to alligator farms. And to draw tourists to alligator farms, you got to have put on a show. So they would kidnap local children, usually African-American children, and put them in the pits with the alligators, and the alligators would chase them. And that's how you entertain tourists. And so many lights was actually the guys walking the streets at night with lanterns looking for wayward kids. Kids.
0: (sighs) Okay, that's just- That's awesome. That is- But that's why I got got the name Erie, Florida. No, totally. Mm -hmm. I like that you just screwed out. That was awesome. (laughs) I would like to say Val, our guest host, (laughs) does not reflect (laughs) the views of this particular (laughs) show. (laughs) And Muppets. stealing kids in the middle of the night to throw them into alligators is not something we support. No, <laughs> no. no, And no. again, I,
2: you find the history and suddenly it all makes sense. It's a cautionary tale. And no yeah. wonder it got morphed into so many different versions. Alligator kids.
0: Well, there and we the go. kids were taken. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so on that terrifying note, we're going to take a five minute break. and yeah, we'll yeah. be right. You're not five minutes. You guys are going to have 20 seconds of break, but we'll be back. hey thank you for listening to drinking with authors we wanted to let you know that if you're an aspiring author out there and you'd like to be on our podcast you can email us at drinkingwithauthors@gmail.com. at gmail.com or if you guys have a question comment want to tell us some little tidbit of interesting news you can always direct message us or comment on twitter instagram or facebook we love that you're listening we love that you're out there and we look forward to hearing from
2: you That's awesome. He's a, he's a big nerd, too, which is awesome.
0: Oh, we starting again. Okay, we're starting. We're back again talking about big nerds. Okay. So we left on Val encouraging
1: small children to be <laughs> stolen and thrown alligators <laughs> in the middle of the night. No, I'm just saying that that history is far darker, far creepier than, than the imagination of most authors.
2: And that's you know, and that's what we stumbled on, too, is like we went to some of these places going for the ghost stories, and then we would find... The real history underneath, and, it, and a, a couple of them, um, the same, uh, mini Lights, uh, well, of course we drew mini lightning, the Voodoo Queen, with their alligator kits, because that was, you know, we had to have that in there, that's just Absolutely. amazing. But, um, like, we went to the Dozier School for Boys, oh. and that, we were, because so many paranormal groups would, you know, would talk about the stuff they would find there, and we were like, okay, yeah, we gotta go. But then, when we got there... And then you start reading the real history, and again, basically 100 years of state-sponsored child abuse, and missing kids, and, and who knows what, and cover-ups, and all this. Oh, and it's so just many like, cover-ups. It becomes the, okay, I'm done. Well, you yeah, know, we're, we're, we're not going to write about ghosts, we're just going to write about how terrible this place is.
0: And that... We talked before, and I think you said that was like one of the worst stories that you'd encounter. That is definitely
2: the darkest. I mean, as bad as Mini Lights is, and um, The Devil's Tree down in uh, Port St. Lucie, which we did for Freaky Florida. We, while we were doing Erie, we would stumble on other stories that were, you know, is this gonna be creepy? Is this too creepy? Is this, you know, or we debunk quite a few. And we'd be like, hmm, okay, well, that's not as interesting as we thought. But, you know, creepy side, but it was still interesting and Mm -hmm. interesting historically and interesting, you know, just a fun place to go. And so that became our sequel book, Freaky. Now, normally, History Press, it's three years for each author between books. They don't want to burn you out. They don't want to, you know, strain you. They don't think you can promote and do all this at the same time. And a lot of big publishers are like that. Um, And, uh, but Arcadia... We hit the ground running, you know, and we got on Coast to Coast AM and we got on all these uh, Into the Fray podcasts, which we love and all that. And in fact, we were just on them pretty recent too, uh, for, a, I think we're one of their most frequent visitors <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, Shannon Legro, she's awesome. Um, but, um, they, uh, yeah, we, we hit huge. We, they, we were one of their best selling books of all time that wasn't done by a politician, you know, cause uh, all the politicians... Yeah, uh, the politician books. You know, the political party's buying thousands yeah. of copies. Right. So you know, it's like you can't you can't beat those. But we hit huge, and so they were like, "Hey, you know how you said you had all those other stories? You know, and we all, we cut you to you know fifty thousand words. Can you you want to do that sequel you were talking about?" And we were like, "Okay." And that became Freaky Florida, where we put,
1: not, we still had a lot of creepy
2: stuff and stuff we were able to deep dive further into stuff we couldn't didn't have enough time. Because we were on a deadline for Erie. Um, right. And because uh, they wanted it done by February to come out you know, for Halloween. And um, this one, they gave us a little more time, a little more effort. So that's why Freaky became a bigger book. Um, and we went to town on that one. And Carrie did a huge cover for that one. Um, and it was funny. Our first book, they originally just gave us the state seal right. as the cover. And we were like, no. 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 no, this isn't no. you now Yeah, and so Carrie's like. Give By me the f- way,
0: the state seal for Florida is not terrifying to look at. No, it's no. a lady FYI.
2: throwing what looks like lottery tickets onto a water with a boat in the background. An alligator. And, 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 <laughs> and, and, and a palm tree. It's some oranges. Yeah, and, and actually, there's mountains in the background of it. Yeah, you know, and you're like, what? Yeah, so They're sand dunes it, because after are f- we have hmm. no mountains. Yeah, exactly. So um, Carrie took it, and in 48 hours, she turned it into this amazing thing with the skunk ape reaching out and Pinky e, the sea monster and you know, the UFOs from Gulf Breeze, all the things we had touched on in the books, including our alligator people from Minilights. And, um, and we threw all that under the cover, and then that, you know, that was what really sold it. And um, I credit that more than anything else we ever did. Um, so they gave her, they said, oh, take all the time you want. Take all the, yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: Now you, you talked about the most disturbing one and you talked about that first chapter that locked in the idea. Mm -hmm. Was there one that really surprised you or inspired you to keep at it?
2: There, there were more than a few that did that. And that's, that's the thing. It's like, you think what well, story's going to go one way, and then the history behind it goes another and um, but some of them we knew going in going right. this is this is you know kind of a stupid place you know, one we went to was um, Bloody Bucket Bridge, which is a um, place in the middle of nowhere, Florida, and it 's a bridge where there's a crying baby heard, and the water turns red and full moon, and all these legendary stories about it, and we went there. And we found out there was a bar called the Bloody Bucket that was on the edge of the bridge. And was it named after the legend? Or was the legend named after the bar? And so the bar's not there anymore. It burned down. And and it just depended on who you asked. And again, doing the research behind it, there was no way to tell which was real and which was not. So that one we presented in Freaky just because it was just so weird. Yeah, we had done it in Erie. We were gonna do it in Erie and we just couldn't. But right around the corner from it is the wonderful Solomon's Castle. And if you've never been to Solomon's Castle, it's in Ona, Florida. It is a guy, an artist, built this place out of recycled materials in the middle of Florida. It is a big shining castle, prettier than anything Disney's ever done. And it is all built out of like tin sheets from printing presses. And um, and, he's, and he decided to build a boat next to it because he had a moat. So he built the boat in a moat and it didn't do anything small, so he built a big 60-foot galleon Holy cow. Uh, there. And the cannons are old sewer pipes. And, uh, it's, but you look at it... it's. Oh, there it's we need to go. I know, I got it's, a road
0: trip.
2: It's an amazing road <laughs> trip destination. But again, no ghosts, nothing spooky. We had heard stories about it, but of course it's all just... You know, bogus. So we get there, and the family's like, no, 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 and and we're like, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's not. It's just a really cool place, and he's all puns. Everything's puns. So um, like, there's two suits of armor out front. One's white. One's black. So one's the night, and one's the day. Oh, yeah! Terrible. Yeah. He was uh, an
1: author at heart. Oh man! Yeah, (laughs) Um, all his. So the first floor is all
2: his art gallery. Oh, wow. Of just random things he's built out of these recycled materials, and um, it's incredible. There's one that's like a band, like a like a jazz band made entirely out of tuna cans. So they're called the Out of Tuna. Oh god. <laughs> and of course they're playing Flight of the Bumblebee cuz yeah. Bumblebee too. Yeah. yeah. Bumblebee tune. Oh, no, it's, okay. oh, it's it's so bad. That's, um
0: did you Well, I have a question though. So you go to all these sites and that one wasn't real as far as the ghost stories. Mm. But you go, have you actually like you talk about the the bloody bridge yeah. and the blood and the babies crying? Where have you actually heard the things they're talking about or seen the things they're talking about? Because, you know, we talked in the beginning about what you encountered as a child yeah. and then looking for the scientific or like sort of the evidence of like, explain to me how this is
1: happening. Yeah, but to the, talk, the similar
0: talk to situations. us a little bit about did you actually encounter any yeah. of these quote-unquote, experiences that other people... I like he's looking over at his wife. That was wife perfect. I was going
2: to say, Carrie, have we experienced anything? Uh, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how you do it. Yeah, <laughs> Carrie is like a ghost <laughs> lodestone. Nothing happens to her. Nothing... We, we could be in our, the. We've had some experiences with... we we're, We consider ourselves paranormal journalists. We're not ghost hunters. We're not... Skunk ape hunters, we're not UFOologists. We go with the experts. We go with Mufon. We go with uh Memento Mori Paranormal Spirits of Tampa Bay and we go on you know, adventures with these people. I call them quests or you know. I like it. We're going on a quest. You know, exactly. This is like real life
0: supernatural. It's exactly. one of my favorite shows. I'm not gonna lie. Well we <laughs> go to these
2: places and we want this their story. That's what we're trying to get—is their experiences and their story. We're just there to look into the history of the place that they're looking into. What, but we want what's happening too, because I again I want to see what's going on and uh, drawn to the dark as it is, and uh, almost uh, like a dark tourism type thing. And um, but we start, we go on all these things. And now back in the Hellview days, back doing the haunted house before we started Erie and all that. Uh, Carrie and I weren't even dating at the time, uh, Bellevue Biltmore, which is maybe five minutes from where we're recording this podcast. Yes. Uh, And
0: I've been there and that place is terrifying. Yes. Now they were
2: tearing it down. Uh, this is before they decided to save bits of it. Um, and Hellview had heard, you know, through the grapevine that they were selling stuff. From the place before they tore it down. And I was like, oh, if we could get a couple pieces of that for the haunted house from a real haunted hotel, this is amazing. So, you know, so we went for their last day, and uh, one of the local Tampa Bay paranormal groups was there, and they were like, we have an extra ticket, come on out. I was like, yes. So, went to it. And I foolishly thought some of it would be cheap because they were gonna throw it away. No, no. it was all no, it's super haunted expensive. Goods, you know,
1: it's opt goods.
2: We did buy a lamp. I still have the lamp. Uh, but um, but while we were there, everybody's dressed in 30s garb. They had everybody was dressed like like where it's happening now with now that we're going into the twenties again. Everybody's doing Gatsby parties for New Year's. There was all these people dressed like Gatsby stuff. So everybody was in period dress. And I'm like, oh, I'm in to want print. This is probably not good, <laughs> but um, awkward. Yeah, um, but, uh, but they had bellhops in the old bellhop costumes oh, and they man. had, you know, all this stuff going on. And so it's like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. So we, yeah, and I'm like, this is great. But, the, but then the paranormal group's like, we got to get to the third floor because the third floor is where the bellhop comes out. And we wanted to see the ghost of the bellhop. He's the most famous ghost there. So we're like, okay, well, let's get up to the third floor. So we made up the elevator and get out onto the third floor. And right as we get out of the elevator, Bellhop comes out of the haunted room and walks down the hallway. And I'm like, oh, they got a guy in the costume up here. That's fantastic. They knew somebody was going to come up here. I was like, oh, bravo. And then the guy next to me said, like, yeah, that's great. And then the girl next to us goes, who are you guys looking at?
1: <gasps> that's amazing.
2: And we look at her and we look back. And he's gone, and it's like, what, you know, what just? And no they, they had cameras. They had infrared. They nobody had,
0: caught anything.
2: Nobody turned it on yet because they were going to set up at the end of the hall. Nobody even thought about it. You, so now, to this point, I'm still not certain that I just didn't see a guy in a costume would duck back into another room. So I went back downstairs and was like, Ah, oh, you guys got us. That was fantastic. Yeah, I got it. like, What are you talking about? You so your
1: chance. yeah, and so you get up there,
2: and you know we start talking, and so that's when people come to me and they go, you know, I've never seen anything. I, I've never seen a ghost. I've never seen. That. I'm like, how do you know? Because as far as I was concerned, that guy was just a dude in a suit. I did. He did not look ethereal or spooky or any shadowy shape or blurred at all. It was just a dude standing there, in the thing, and it's just like, bam. So I still don't want to say. The G word. I don't like saying ghosts. I don't like saying. Ghosts. I still don't like saying that because I don't know what it was. It's a recording. He he did not interact with us. He did not do anything. we, we like a, a lot of the paranormal groups have different theories, and one of my favorites is what they call the stone tape, where it's just a recording in the walls, and only certain people can see it because only certain people have the tunings to see it, and so, now some are more interactive. Some will talk. Some will. You know, throw stuff, you know, the poltergeist-type stuff, and there's things like that. So, and that's my same feeling with Bigfoot, my same feeling with Skunk Ape, or Pinky the Sea Monster, or, or even UFOs to some extent. Are we seeing what we think we're seeing? Are we experiencing what we think we're experiencing? We're seeing something we can't explain. We're experiencing things that don't make sense to us. Hundreds of years ago, people didn't understand magnetism, so they just refused to admit it existed and pretended it was witchcraft. You know, you know, people don't understand certain medicines. You know, chiropractic medicine is still not 100% accepted by many people. You know, many doctors call it, you know, voodoo magic. So it's, you know... I have to
0: say, though, Biltmore, I'm going to tell my story. So I went there for a wedding. Um, Well, not an actual wedding. They wanted to look at venues. So there's a ballroom Mm -hmm. up on one of the floors. Do you know what I'm talking about? So we're... um, um, for another podcast I literally have had ghost experiences throughout my life and I will say the G word because mm-hmm. of that but I um, guess I can it's my podcast mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> but I was up on the floor and they were looking around and they were there was an the option of an inside or an outside wedding and they were showing this ballroom which is on one side and faces out kind of to the pool in the back area and um, they had all the tables and chairs pushed like, to the sides and there was an open floor like where they mm-hmm. did and they're like this is how we could do it blah 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 and i hear this like like a chair mm-hmm. being dragged and i went like this and uh the, there's a chair that had been moved out and i was like okay maybe i didn't see it at first but i'm one of those people that totally believes in this stuff so i was like mm-hmm. okay but then um they're walking and stuff like that. And the girl who was touring us, I could see her eyes look over there real quick and look back and then start talking louder. Yeah, so, she to, was to, talking to, cover. To yeah, right. she was talking louder. She like, let's go do this yeah. thing. And then all of a sudden, I hear it again. And the chair moved out to like 10 feet away from the table.
1: Wow.
0: And I <laughs> turned around. And I didn't see like something dragging it and stuff. But I always get this like little feeling like there's something else closely. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, it was really interesting because... The feeling wasn't like playful or anything. Like it was ominous, and I was like, "Okay, can you show us the pool now?" Like, and yeah. she was like, "Yeah, let's it's go see a, the yeah, pool." Yeah, great and idea. Was, when we got out of there, I'm like, "You are not You're getting, getting married here. I'm not going <laughs> we to spend time." I went to the
2: Cuban Club for a uh, over in Ybor City for a uh, uh, has Halloween night and we got permission to go in at like 3 a.m. for a local TV show who was going to do their news broadcast from there and cut back to us live during the morning shows and stuff. And they didn't even let the ghost hunters and stuff stay in there after 2 in the morning because that place is just you know, supposedly off the charts. And I'm like, and we're going in at 3 in the morning? This yeah. is going to be interesting. Um, so we get in there, and it's just the docent, the uh, one of the tour guides from uh, the ghost hunts over there, me and the camera guy and the reporter. And we're the only f- people in the building. And right at dawn, we're up on that fourth floor dance hall area and where where the wedding happened and the bride fell down the stairs and the you know, classic ghost story. And she supposedly walks down the stairs at dawn. And we're just about to dawn, and we all go outside to look at the beautiful, because you just get to see the dawn rise up over Tampa. That area is just that that alone is worth the price of admission for the Cuban Club. And then we walk back in, and we're about to go live, and she's getting ready, and she's got the microphone, and I'm wired up, and then we hear steps going down the stairs right next to us, and we're the only people in the building, and I'm like looking at the cameraman, tell me you got that. He's like, you're wearing unidirectional mics, it cuts out ambient noise, so I didn't hear anything. He's like, I heard it, but the camera didn't pick it up. And then right then they're like, oh, and you're going live. And the poor reporter was like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what just happened, but we just heard footsteps, and I'm I'm done.
0: <laughs> and, you know, what's interesting is, like, I, I love going on the ghost tours and stuff like that, and they they tell you things. And you go into some places, and, I, I you know, I don't see, I don't feel like I'm going to tell you the story no. of the place. And I'm sure that's similar to your experience in these places. And then I go into some places, and I'm like, no, 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 out,
2: out, yep. whatever that is, yeah. I'm leaving. It's that, that little sixth sense you got, you know, just telling you, time to go. Um, we've been to all these crazy places and I've had i had mean, some senses of, you know, we don't, we shouldn't be here. But again, uh, we'll go looking at a creepy cemetery and uh, we were at uh, Spring Hill Cemetery up in Brooksville. And Terry um, and I had an encounter with a giant wild boar uh, oh. that was on the other side of the fence. It was as big as our car. And, They're uh, terrifying. Yeah, that was they pretty terrifying. terrifying, and so I was scared by that. Uh, but then we went back later with our production crew because uh, we're actually filming kind of a local TV show now um, called Eerie Travels. And, and where can you find this TV show? It's but not plug, up yet, plug. but it will be on WeBeam TV, uh, which is a internet streaming service, and then possibly other places to be named later. But that's who's uh, filming it with us. Awesome. And um, and they. Um, They do a show called Nerd Talk, which I like to hijack their chat room every time I'm on and plug my book, (laughs) whatever they're talking about. You know, that reminds me of a story in eerie Florida, (laughs) that reminds me of a story in freaky Florida. Shameless public. I will will
0: give Mark uber credit for shameless self-promotion. He's one of the few authors that I'm like, thumbs up, because most authors suck at shameless self-promotion. And that was
2: one of the things with the the history press is most of our authors are history teachers, history professors, family historians, uh, or politicians, and all of them write the book put it out and it's okay. going to sell. That's it. I'm done. You know, I've got my publication credit and all that. And they don't realize that that's not even the third of the job. You've got yeah. to promote, 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 promote. And that's what History Press fell in love with us for because we were, our publicist, Johnny, uh, there loves us because he's like, whenever I'm having a slow month and can't get anything going, I just say, well, look at what Mark did these last three <laughs> And, no, uh, and I think that's the
1: that could be a, a, the difference between a traditionally published author versus an indie author. Mm-hmm. We we are a one man bandstand. We, we we mm-hmm. learned the ropes. We do what we have to do to make sure they know we're there.
2: It's the. Was it a thousand books a day come out on Amazon? Oh yeah. And yeah. and ninety nine point nine something percent will sell less than six hundred copies in their entire life. Most of them sell less than a hundred copies. You know, yeah. And that's, that's including the million copies, Stephen King's and, you know, mm-hmm. you know Dean Koontz and, you know, um, gosh, you know, everybody, you know, Roberts. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. Steele. Daniel Steele. You add them in and that still doesn't move that needle. at yeah. well. Um, and that's because it's just, everybody's doing it now. I mean, that's the plus to self-publishing. You don't have that hurdle to get in anymore. But the minuses, you're, you know, you're, you're one click away from a million clicks. But that's how do you get that? And that's when you got to get out there and promote and, and and get on things. Now, having a traditional publicist got us onto Coast to Coast AM, got us onto on Frey, got us onto the big shows that you're not going to get on very easily as an indie.
1: No, not without um, hiring extra help. Exactly,
2: and so that is the one plus to having a. You know, a publisher, you know, a publisher with some clout. Even though History Press, people are like, what? What's that? You know, it's like, if you walk into any gift shop or grocery store, you that we're in Walgreens. We're in Ace Hardware. We're in Harbor Freight. We're in the weirdest places because that's what they <laughs> love to do. They love to put things in weird spots. We just recently got into Target, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah,
1: it was funny. I did see that Target, and I picked it up. I'm like, I know this guy. <laughs> and my mother-in-law's like, no, you don't
2: don't.
1: Like, I do. Yeah. I have a copy already at home,
2: but my, I do My parents are probably very happy in their graves that I'm a Cracker Barrel. So, yeah. <laughs> well done. You've yeah, achieved yeah. the Cracker Barrel. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. uh, that would be like the, oh, that's the ultimate highlight of my career was being seen in a Cracker Barrel and, and, and selling out at Cracker Barrels. That's the nice thing. <laughs>
1: well,
0: i got to ask you because, you know, amazing stories and everything, but let's talk a little bit about your writing. So you wrote um, for role-playing games and stuff, mm-hmm. but now you're writing a book. So you wrote the first two. Yeah. What did you encounter when you were like, as an actual writer? Because it's great, the stories and the, all this, but actually writing is um, an interesting it's situation a, it's, to
2: a it's a different process because as a fiction lover and a storyteller by nature, it's one of those, this is how the story went. But in your head, you want it to go, but it would have been so much cooler if just this one little thing had changed and just this one little bit had changed and you want to make it a little better. You want to punch it up. And that's what we did for our original books for the Helby stories was like, okay, yes. You know, this, this Bordello fire happened and the Rough Riders came in and you know, that was amazing history, you know, from, from Tampa. And, but to me it was like, okay, I'm making it from dust to dawn they were vampires in the Bordello, and the reason the Rough Riders burned them down wasn't the fact that you know Teddy was just petty, he was killing vampires. It was like, yeah, so that was that. I couldn't do that in Erie Florida or freaky Florida or even creepy Florida or a New one now um, We were like, okay, we have to do, yeah, we have to, you have to tone it down. You have to go back to the folklore, you have to go back to the original legend. But what I found was I could still tell the legend as creepy as I wanted and as scary as I wanted. And that was the beauty of these books was that we could still be scary and still tell those original folklore tales and make them as dark and as creepy as they are without pulling any punches. Admittedly a few tweaks here and there because it makes it a little more interesting read. But then when you get to the history, it's like, okay, this is the history. Let's, and and we shift gears, but again, it's still storytelling. And that's, and that's how we work it. And that's, you know, that's, That's just the way you got to write these books now. Do I want to get back to fiction? Yes. I would desperately love to get back into writing fiction and fantasy. Do you write fiction
0: at all? I do
2: on the side, but none of it has been... Because we've been so busy doing these... Again, that is the problem with a you know when you do hit a, a trend that that and you're riding that wave, wave yeah. you kind of want to just keep doing that for a little while because hey, let's milk it as long as it can go. So yeah, I have some other projects inside. There's you know, every author has that they have the million. They have their folder called writing project yeah. ideas. Yeah, no, we're writing, not talking writing.
0: about Val's four hundred folders. I, I made a mistake <laughs> I, about yeah, her gonna, what books she just,
2: wants to write.
0: And uh, she was like, "Well, well there's this series and this so series so and these and twelve and these yeah, 487. And, and I have this one and by the like,
1: mythology of the stuff. stuff, stuff. It, stuff. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. And that's
2: mine. Is I wanted to do a uh, uh, a pulp sci-fi. You know, a classic. You know, because because Star Wars, because Flash Gordon, because all these things. I wanted to do a Pulp Sci-Fi, and I wanted to, you know, and I was like, all right, I'm going to do Space Pirates, and I'm going to do this. and I'm, But I but I love military science fiction, you know, um, David Weber and stuff like that. So I was like, I could do, I could blend those two and get the military part, but with, you know, with air pirates and stuff like that. And so I started a project, and I wrote maybe half a dozen chapters, dozen chapters, and outlined this big, epic thing, and I'm just like, oh, i got to write this because uh, I've got to write a blog for, or publisher, I've got to write this for everything, and then it just sits, and then you forget about it, and then you come back to it a year later, and you're like, where the yeah, hell was I, was I going I, with this? Yeah. Yeah, what was I doing with this? Oh, yeah. Uh, what my
1: character's that? names again?
2: Yep, exactly. You get, and, you know, and that's when you get those wonderful things like New Novelist and other programs that keep you on track and stuff, but it's still, it's just, it's one of those. Eh, okay, eh.
0: so now's the point in the podcast. We got to ask. So, you have a new book coming out, correct?
2: Or oh, that yeah, one just came out. Just came just out, just so out,
0: that's Creepy Florida. Creepy Florida. And so, you have Eerie Florida. Freaky, Freaky Florida. Freaky Florida, Florida. And so, creepy. what is the difference with Creepy Florida? Okay, so Give that, us our, our elevator pitch with the elevator, elevator pitch. The elevator Creepy.
2: Well, while we were doing Eerie and Freaky. Everybody, I mean, and everybody, when you'd say, they're like, oh, you wrote about this. Why didn't you write about this? Why didn't you write about this? Why didn't you write about this? And every one of them was a ghost story. Every one of them was a haunted house. Every one of them was a haunted cemetery. Every one of them was this and that. And the problem is, is when we were writing Eerie and Freaky, I kept telling my publisher, because my publisher was like, you got to do one that's all ghosts. You got to do one that's all ghosts. And I kept telling them, I don't want to do one that's all ghosts because I can only say and a shadowy figure moves across the hall at night so many times because I'm <laughs> so, you know, I hear the people hear the children laughter echoing through the graves. You can only write that so many times because it's in every freaking one of these stories. So I was like, okay, while we're traveling these other places, we are going to go to these other locations and look at them and try to get a sense of them and then dig into the history later. And so then it became... Well, the ghost stories. The ghost stories are stories. And again, I don't have to, the beauty of the ghost story is it doesn't have to make sense. In fact, the ones that don't make sense are more exciting to me. The one that's, oh, this guy died, or this guy did this, you know, and now he's there. That, it's very cut and dry and very basic. But it's, when you start looking at the ones that are kind of a little out there, a little more weird, and I was like, now we've got our hook. And then suddenly I got drawn into it. And it was like, okay, now we've got our third book. We can do all ghosts. And so this one is all ghosts. Now the publisher is like, said because we've had two bestsellers, they now are like, okay, we're going to give you a color insert for this one. Ooh! So we got 16 pages of color photos in the middle now, which I've never had in a book before. Uh, <laughs> Look they, at you. That's like super fancy. I know. It's like crazy. Mm-hmm. And, um... And so I was like, and I can't just do like we did on the other ones. Each chapter was basically one or two stories about a city. There's so many in each city. and so many in each area. So it became, okay, these are going to be a few deep dives, but it's going to be a lot more packed in as much as we possibly can and make it as much, you know, much denser with the ghost stories. And so they may not get as deep of history behind them, but I can... Definitely get some meat on these bones, and you know, can definitely get into the history. At, but we can put so much more into the book, and so this one became probably has more stories in it than anything than all the other books put together. But it's not as you know deep diving into it. So so a lot of our people are actually enjoying this one more than our other two because there's not as much history lesson in it. But history
0: is uh, good. Yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, but it's but it is. But there's just so much. See, and this one we wanted to make more. They've printed all of ours a specific way because they want them to be like travel guides that you can pop in your pocket or pop in your purse and use it as a road map, north to mm-hmm. south. And then this way, you know, in Erie, they took a couple and flipped them because they wanted the 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 story narrative to be a little different. So you can't quite use it that way. Right. But but then after that, they really freaky. They let us do it. And now this one, they insisted. That we do it like yeah. that. So, uh, that slowly awesome.
0: broke them in. Yeah. So, what <laughs> is um, next then? Did they ask you to go to another
2: round? We have been approached to do uh, another project with them. I, they get first right to anything. I, I don't know if anybody signed a contract with the publishers before. Yeah. Uh, they get first refusal. Common. First refusal. So, uh, now, if they, they can come back and say, well, we want this, and I'm like, well, this other publisher's offering me this, yeah, then then I can still just walk away from it. But they've been great, so we are giving them first crack at it, and we're going to tie it in with the new show that we're working on called Eerie Travels, and it's we're calling it basically the big scary road trip. We're going to get out of the state finally and go to some famous and not so famous places, and um, and hit you hit you you know the the best of the best, and um, but also hit you some ones that you don't know about. So for for every Mothman, uh, we're going to have the benchlight you yeah, know, yeah. nobody knows. No, I don't know what that. Uh, yeah, is. And, that and, sounds you know, cool. But it, you know, and <laughs> for every uh, you know, um, Aurora, you know, UFO sighting or Beast of Bray Road, we're gonna hit some other monsters that you may not know, like the Snallygaster some other stuff so uh, awesome. it's gonna get back more onto the cryptids because we like them a lot but we're still gonna hit ghosts and some other stuff on the way and some aliens because we gotta throw in our aliens
0: everybody needs aliens okay so where do people find you Mark
2: uh, erieflorida.com is our digital home uh, you can find us uh, everything from there every appearance every podcast we're on and all that but also that links to our, all of our social media stuff Insta Facebook and all that And uh, that's also where our shop is. So if you want to, instead of picking us up at Cracker Barrel or or, uh, (laughs) Target or or, or the Big A or your local independent retailer, which we would much prefer you buy from. Uh, But if you can't buy from any of those, uh, we have uh, ErieFlorida.com has a store that goes right to us. And you can get a special copy like uh, the ones Carrie draws in. Carrie does little sketches in them. You get some personal words of wisdom from me. I usually try to give some advice for future hunters and you know and uh and legend chasers Mm -hmm. and uh yeah so so we give you a little something and also uh, carrie's art so a lot of her sketches are for sale there and then elizabeth abbott my old partner she still does uh jewelry from our um, carrie's art and she we post that there too and uh, and that'll be where we'll keep tabs on just about everything most of us know from erie florida so
1: What's the next convention you'll be at? Because that's where I met you initially. Oh,
2: yeah. We do a lot of the cons. Uh, Our next one is Sci-Fi Bartow, I believe. And if you've never been there, that is amazing. The whole town. Bartow, Florida. It's kind of central Florida. My my grandmother used to live there. Okay. The whole town becomes a giant science fiction comic book convention for free. The whole main street shuts down. It's filled with vendors and Batmobiles and cars and... And, and cosplayers, and it's amazing. We have fun there every year. And their theme this February 15th. Hmm? February 15th. February 15th. So definitely worth it. Rain or shine, they do it. Uh, usually it's February, so it's not too bad. Others usually never really rain, rain. And it's not too hot yet, and the mosquitoes aren't there yet. Um, and it is a blast. And it is definitely, that's our next one. And then I think we're doing... We got a bunch this year. We're we're hitting Tampa Comic Con. We're hitting Fanboy Expo, Mega Con again, Um, Uh, Super Con. We're going to hit this year. We missed it last year Uh because it was on 4th of July weekend, but we're going to be down there again. Uh, That one's in Miami. Um, We aren't doing as many little cons this year. We always do Spooky Empire, but we do the big one. Sometimes we do the little one. So uh, That's the uh, Southwest Florida Paranormal Con, which is a lot of fun in Fort Myers. And that one is in March, I believe this year. Um, and mm-hmm. it's it's a uh, it's a great little convention. That's uh, they've got uh, usually the guys from uh, like ghost hunters, ghost adventures, and stuff like that on there, and uh, then us. Yeah, you know, and it's <laughs> like, you know, like I'm gonna right. go with your
0: more entertaining. I'm just throwing that out. There, well, it's so. uh,
2: <laughs> it was their first one. The first one they did there was in a little Shriners Hall, which was awesome. And when we got there, out front they were being picketed by the Westboro Baptists. <laughs> and I was so happy that <laughs> I was being picketed by the Westboro Baptists that I went outside and selfied with
0: them. I was gonna say, I hope you selfied because that's the that's first thing
2: I want to do. And like a thumbs that's up. A smile. And what was great was the news crew was coming in at the time and they saw me doing this. And uh, and so they st- they pulled up and stopped and said, "Look, we don't want to recreate news, but if you could do that again, that was just amazing." So they got me selfieing in front of the Westboro Baptist, and then they interviewed me about you know the con and everything, and then, and the con had done maybe a couple hundred people, and then suddenly, I guess that news aired. And by the time the news aired, the Westworld Baptist had gone, the news crew had gone, suddenly like a thousand Drones plus, two thousand plus people fans. started coming to this convention. And, you know, the guy from Destination Truth was there, the guy from Ghosted, uh, Ghost Hunters was there, and uh, uh, I forget, one of the big UFO guys was there. And they're all doing their panels, and in my panel was packed. And I'm like, because they all saw me on the news and it was like, oh my gosh, that's great. And so when we came out of the, you know, I came out of my panel and we had this huge line my table, poor Carrie was like, there's this, there's a huge line of people waiting for my autograph. And I was just like, the, the guy from Destination Truth, is like right there and nobody's at his table. And I'm like, okay, the power of advertising.
0: power of shameless self-promotion. Well, exactly. exactly. yes, I yes. want to thank you for being here with us this week. We really gosh. appreciate it, Erie, Florida. It's lovely having you. And this is Drinking with Authors. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And as always, I want to thank our amazing producer Adam and my uh, gorgeous I co-host Val Willis, who's here I feel with like us. I, I didn't
1: get to use my voice as much as I should have. That's because <laughs> I
0: talk too much. I'm I sorry. know,
1: but it was like I, I was like like a little kid. Like, Tell me more stories, <laughs> Dad. <laughs> <laughs> And on that totally creepy drunk note, this is Drinking With
0: Authors. Thank you guys, we'll see you next time.